Hey, I'm Lucas Coelho, and you're listening to the Progression Podcast. Hi, this is Johnny. Welcome to another episode of the Progression Podcast. This time, I'm talking to Lucas Coelho, who is VP of Design at Rome Digital. They are a consultancy based in New Zealand, although with a few offices in other countries. A team of 150, including 20-something designers. So we talked about the importance of progression and uh, clear career paths and growth framework when nurturing new people and giving them goals. Uh, we talked about juniors and how to bring them into your organisation and how to encourage them to keep moving up. We talked about admitting your fails as a leader and evolving leadership styles and learning by failing. And we finally talked about how progression rolled out across 150 people at Rome and some of the unexpected ways in which Lucas has seen it used since. Hopefully an interesting and um, in-depth chat about some of the hardships of being a manager and being a leader and a few good tips about how to get started with your progression framework in this one. Um, Enjoy. Lucas, great to have you on the pod. Really excited as we've been chatting for, is it a year, maybe more? I don't know about how to do progression as part of a team. So uh, a little bit of an intro from me. Lucas is a progression customer, but more importantly, is VP of design at uh, Rome Digital, which is a New Zealand-based consultancy building awesome products. Lucas, you can give us a little bit more detail on what Rome Digital does and like your role within it and the team and things like that. It'd be awesome to hear a bit more. Cool. I think we're speaking. We've been speaking since the before progression was live right i remember testing the platform and whatnot but yeah so rome digital we are a a digital consultancy based born and raised in auckland new zealand but we have offices in sydney and singapore as well so we are uh, a digital product studio delivering work end-to-end to big enterprise clients helping bring them into a journey of digital product innovation and actually delivering new businesses and initiatives and experiences to market awesome you're running the design team. Uh, what does that kind of entail? So that entails that uh, I was hired four years ago. So when I arrived, we were more sort of like a mobile development and user experience sort of studio. And I was hired as the first senior designer to build the design discipline of the organization, really. So I think I joined as the fourth of, or fifth designer. And now I run the design discipline pretty much. So I'm the VP of design. I report to the CEO and I have four design managers and leads that report to me, two in New Zealand, one in Singapore and one in Sydney. And how big's the the whole... Yeah, the design team. I was going to get... You're right my mind. The design team has 23 people now. Okay. Across all those studios. So we are all... The way that we build the team is we only have one main role. We, to be honest, we have a UX copywriter. So we're starting to build that discipline in the team, but everyone in the team is a digital product designer. And what I mean by that is really taking that multidisciplinary approach to design. So designers on, on the team, they're all T-shaped, so they have different strengths, but they are expected to understand everything from the business, early business design strategy to actually execution and bringing products and even iterating on products once they are in market. Awesome. It sounds like you've 
been over the last four years on a journey yourself within Rome. Did you come on as someone ostensibly designing yourself, doing the design work? Yeah, so my role with design was always... I came from a startup background, so design for me was always the way that I needed to do things. So I had design roles that were not ever officially designed roles because I was the co-founder of those companies. So design was how I needed to build things. So do I need to do a little bit of coding? Yeah. If I needed to build something with coding and design, that's how I build things. But I also did a lot of freelancing for agencies and whatnot. So before coming to New Zealand, I was running my own design studio as a partner with a couple of friends. And then we were delivering work internationally. So I did quite a bunch of design work on the tools, on the startups and on my own studio, but also at the same time needed to run the company. So it's a little bit of a product management, a little bit of design, a little bit of finance sometimes, operations, and you know how it is. <laughs> All the fun of the fair, yeah. Yeah. Um, the amount of time you spend doing stuff where you're like, how is this my job now? Yeah, <laughs> I completely hear you. I'd love to go all the way back to you starting out because you've had an international journey as well as a journey through different roles. Like, how did you get started and where did it all come from for you? So that's a long story. Let me try to show it out. I'm from Brazil, so the city and the countryside of Sao Paulo, that I think is the biggest state. Well, I don't think it's it's definitely at least the most dense in terms of population. And design for me was the way that I found, like I stumbled into design. I never went to design school. That would actually sound absolutely insane to my family. I think I talked a little bit about this on my talk in Figma. Like I have three, three options. I was either going to med school or I could become an engineer or uh, a lawyer and that was it like very traditional sort of <laughs> career paths and and I actually went to although I start playing with I remember playing with a software called print artist when I was a kid doing sort of business cards for my dad and then he came home one day with Coral Draw and then I start playing with that and, and doing like flyers and posters and and logos for his shops and, and whatnot and doing things for friends and then I remember becoming a teenager. I went to a technical school that was sort of like a, a technical mechatronic sort of high school. So I did the technical high school in the mornings and the normal high school sort of disciplines in the afternoons. So it was like a full-time high school from Monday to Saturday. And there we learned how to play with Dreamweaver and, and build sort of like static HTML pages. And that was amazing because then you can play with all of this web that was incredibly slow at the time and, and very, very different. But that was something that always appealed to me. That was also a way that I love how to to like do freelancing for a couple of friends. They wanted to put a blog online or something like that. And we have Orkut at the time and then you, you could play around with with some design stuff. Um, and then from there I went to engineering school actually. And I spent three semesters in engineering school, mechanical engineering. And I remember I got into um, Isaac, that is an international organization for leadership. And there I got in touch with Eric Ray's books on Lean Startup. And following all of that startup movement, I realized that, uh, and I remember sitting in the classroom and learning about 
systems or, or learning about production models and old school management. And I was like, okay, so this is not true today. <laughs> In five years when I graduate, this is going to be crazy. Like, it's, this is not possible. And I remember when I went to engineering school, I wanted to go to one of the best in the country. So in Brazil, you need to apply and use certain grades to go to a specific school that is a test to, to get there. And I remember I had all this conflict thinking, okay, so this is supposed to be one of the best engineering schools. And we're talking about things that are so old school. Uh, this is not possible. And then I met a few mates They were doing some startup thing. And at the time, it was like a social media for companies. So it's sort of like a Facebook pages of sorts in Brazil. And then I was like, I can use Photoshop. I can help you guys with some design work and, mm. and some interfaces and whatnot and a little bit of code. And they were like, cool, so you can drop in, drop out and help us. It was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then that's what I did. How did your family feel about that? Uh, my parents are have a, a traditional family. Like my mom never went to, never finished first grade. And, and my dad never went to university or, or college either. So they were against it because they thought that I was going to be the one, uh, the first in, in my close family to go to university. And I did go, but they got a little bit disappointed at first. But... They always trusted me, you know, in a way that uh, I'm very grateful for. So in the end, it ended up work out, uh, working out. Although I am not absolutely sure if they know what I do to this date. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, every time I speak with my mom, my mom is like, oh, yeah, so maybe when you finish this, maybe you want to go back to med school, try med school or, or mm. finish your engineering degree. I'm like, yeah, mom, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure, that's fine. <laughs> it sounds like we're of the same generation, like a child of the, the Dreamweaver. And my equivalent is my first ever logo was for my dad's company at the time. He was just setting up like a consulting business and he let me do the logo. And this guy never throws away any of his clothes. So he still occasionally rocks up in like a polo shirt with my first ever logo on it. I just look at it and just think, why, what even was that, you know, <laughs> that early work? You're just really just laying it down. There's there's some interesting decisions made, but it's all part of the journey. And then, yeah, Dreamweaver and hacking on the internet, trying to draw boxes on the internet and not understanding yeah. why it doesn't work. And fireworks. I thought fireworks was great. It is too today. Yeah. Maybe it's sort of like that when you remember things fondly from your past and you think they were great. But every time, sometimes I was like frustrated with sketch, for example, I was like, ah, oh, you know what? It was yeah. good. Fireworks was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but probably if you go back to use it, it would be sh shit. Absolutely. Absolutely horrendous. <laughs> uh, yeah, it took me back to like a Creative Suite 2 or something. So that sounds, it sounds like a, a I suppose, a non-traditional path to get to where you are. Yeah. I'd love to go a little bit more into what you talked about in, in the talk at Figma, which we'll link to in the show notes around hiring juniors and what you look for, I suppose, when bringing people in and then how you create a supportive environment for people joining the team. Yeah, I think, and this is very related to, I think, when I come from on design, right? So I learned 
to design and technology and everything that we do in our field. I learned myself. I learned from others, and I got lucky enough to have really good mentors that help guide me through my career, and good mentors that actually guided me to. This is the people they follow. This is the books they read, and this is. What are your experiences? And here's a list of books. And, and you need to know the basics in order for you to question the basics and and break the rules a little bit to, to to put yourself out there and deliver a really good quality and creative work. And that's why I believe it's important to give back and nurture that creativity and that drive that juniors have.、Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of people sometimes sometimes in the industry doing a lot of like instead of trying to bring. More people to the industry and bring them into the journey. I speak a lot with people trying to get into design or people、mm-hmm. that are coming out of university, and what they hear is, "This is not good. You need more experience. This is the only typefaces that you can use. This is the only style that you should look at, or sometimes even worse, this it's like the breaking down the design process into artifacts of." So you start and you do a problem statement ad lib, and you turn that into an empathy map that turns into a persona, and then turn that into a user flow, and you're gonna do a wireframe low fidelity first, and then you do a wireframe mid high fidelity, and then you user test with five people, no more, no no less,、mm-hmm. and then you change things, and then that's your case study,、yeah. and I think. It misses, and, and and the most interesting people that I see getting into the design field, and especially junior designers, what is interesting about them is their personalities, how they look differently at problems, like how they tackle problems based on the experiences that they have on their background or cultural sort of perspectives, unique perspectives that they have, and that is something that I think it needs to be nurtured, and that's something that we try to do on our team. It's really. When we're hiring someone, hiring for that potential, hiring for that potential, how to learn things, or, or just a drive to learn, really.、Mm. And then when you kind of bring them in, then what are some of the things that you'll kind of look to do to help them be successful? I suppose in their first, maybe in their interview process, but also as they join and integrate into the team and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. One thing that we really like to do is, is, first of all, when someone at the beginning of their career, they start, we try to pair them up with someone that has a little bit more experience, just someone that can help them even understand how a company works, right? So,、yeah. we had people that would join and they never used Slack before, or they never even touched. Oh, now everyone touches Zoom calls, but they never opened Miro, for example. And there is、yeah. a couple of things that are important for people to to. Oh, how do you reply to an email? How do you document something on Confluence? How do you actually read Confluence? How do you read a Jira ticket? Which are actually things that can get incredibly complex. But pairing them up with someone is super important. Another thing that we do that is very important for us on our team is, and and for me personally, is guiding them through a path that they would understand. So being able to, when they get into organization, provide them with a map of. This is what we believe are the next steps in our journey. This is what,、yeah. this is,、uh, and the person makes an assessment of their own skills, and we can help guide them through some learning paths and journeys on how to give the next step in their careers, and really being clear、yeah. of what is expected of them, what is not expected of them, 
and what are the things that they can put in place in order to progress on their careers. And that's where tools like, I don't want to plug the, the product <laughs> here. I'm not trying to, to, to yeah. But uh, a progression is great, right? Or, or any sort of growth framework or, or a career progression framework, I think it's, it's yeah. great. And that's something that I remember when we were putting in place our growth framework. So we started with a Trello-based one, and then we kept chatting, and then we moved into progression during the beta and before that, I was like looking at research, and I think I looked at a data from a rubric from uh, Medium mm. that had uh, on the Medium Engineering Framework. Maybe it was that one, but I, I remember seeing a stat that showed like 87% of companies have no growth framework based on skills. And then I was like, how is that even possible? Yeah. And all of that frustration, right? So before being a design studio partner or now, a design leader of a team that's fast growing, you need to not only provide juniors or even intermediate or seniors a way to understand what is the next step is for them and have better conversations about growth and learning. Yeah. But also, how is it possible that people have, how do you have, I don't know how people could have salary conversations, for example, or yeah. without any form of this is what expected of you. This is where the next steps are. Right. It just sounds crazy to me looking back into the past and thinking, oh, okay, never. People didn't have this until recently. But speaking with other people from other companies, too, very common, right? So speaking with a friend recently, he's in the UK, mm -hmm. and then he was chatting to me and just became a senior designer, and he used to work with me. And he was super happy and was like, oh, that's cool. And and I was like, mate, I think you're a senior designer for quite some time now. Yeah. I would consider it's like, ah, oh, but I just had my first review after two years in the company. Right. So, yeah. yeah. That's wild. I mean, I'd love to know, I suppose going back to a new employee or a new person on your team's first few weeks, do you feel the pull of people wanting to know what their next step is going to be, even at the very start? So, yeah, so a lot of things that happen for us and something that for me is very important to align that at the beginning of even during the recruitment process is because even though we're a consultancy, so we work on the agency consultancy side, we, we have the digital product designer role and our role requires more than let's say, more skills and capabilities than what the average of the other companies in the market will require, right? Yeah. Sometimes you have people coming from product companies and they're not used to being involved in that end-to-end -end process. Mm. And here we're expecting that person to at least have some high-level understanding or at least being able to participate into the end-to-end -end process. So it's very common for us to bring something for another company where they are a senior or maybe on an advertisement agency and they're very good at their craft. Yeah. But even during the recruitment process, we'll say, okay, so for us here, you'll be an intermediate, yeah. uh, a key product designer, for example. Yeah. So it's very important for us to, when we bring that person in, that in the first few weeks, we can put our coaching in place in a way to make it tangible to show the person, okay, so this is what is expected of, first of all, the key product designer, that's the road that we're bringing you in. Yeah. But also, what is the difference between what would you consider your, your level is at the moment mm. and what is the next step for you? 
Yeah. But also, what are the things that we can put in place in order for you to achieve that level in the future? Yeah, it it has to be based on both you and them wanting to get them there, I suppose, rather than yeah feeling like there's blockers in the way and you're you're now at this level because we're different to the role that you've just been in, so we're going to put you here because there's things for you to learn. And by the way, we're not going to put any time into helping you get there like that undermines the the whole effort yeah and and for me i think the important thing it's all about learning right so sometimes it happens that we align that and the person says i'm really attached to my senior title so i would not get that step and i go that's fine we still want you to join the team but when you join the team you're gonna then do your assessment against the senior level yeah. And then we're going to see what are the gaps they have and they're going to work towards bridging those gaps right. in the future. Yeah. Because for me, that the learning and development part is much more important than how much I'm going to just, like, I don't want to just undermine the experience that the person has before yeah. or pay less just because they're going to join my team. No, I'm going to still pay what is the average for your role and I'm not going to give you a massive or sometimes not even any salary cut. But it's important for me that you come understanding that when you join our team, our focus is on learning from each other and growing together and being able to develop in all the other areas that allow us to deliver high-quality work. Yeah. I think it's always a concern for people joining a team that the optics of it don't make it look like they've taken a demotion or something like that. So... It's completely understandable that people want to come in and have the same title or, or move up a title, you know, for the LinkedIn profile or to keep up with the peers and all that kind of stuff. And then be able to balance that with actually, here's where we sit and internally, you know, this is how we're talking about this and here's what we expect you to do. It's kind of a tricky conversation to navigate, I think, as a hiring manager and then as a manager. Yeah. So I had to do, do two cases. I had a case where before a person had a senior title on a very small agency. And then when she interviewed with us, it was like, I have a role for you, but it's not a senior role because this is what I expected from the senior role. Yeah. And it made very clear I need to share the rubric from the growth framework with that person saying, this is what is expected. Yeah. Are you okay? So you fit on this yeah. marquee level role. Is this okay? And then the person says, no, I really want to join the team. That's exactly what I'm joining. So yeah. I had... I'm the only designer on that team, so I don't think like my skills actually match my title. So I want to join the team because yeah. we know about your design team and I really want to go in and learn from the team and, and actually develop myself. So that's yeah. that's great. Yeah. But I also have times when a person is like, ah, oh, no, like, I really want to keep my title and no judgment, right? Every person has their own drive and their own motivations. Of course. And I'll go, cool, fine, but let's work towards... Yeah bridging the gap between what we consider a senior designer and what we have because what i don't want to create as well is that sense within the team that uh because the team's like 20 20 something people and then everyone's going to look around and say oh, wait a second is that person a senior no 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 yeah yeah, yeah i'm i'm much better than that person right yeah. so it's important to align those expectations and bridge those gaps in an effective way and that for that it's a lot of coaching and, and training brilliant I'd love to keep digging on some of these rituals, I suppose, that you've built around the progression side of things, growth framework, but also other things that you're doing as a team to make each other better and how you think about things like goals and feedback and and wins and, and all of that kind of stuff. 
Yeah. So what happens is that the process is, so let's say someone joins, right? So they're going to go and do their progression check-ins, which evaluating themselves against their skills. Mm -hmm. And during that first check-in, we really trust the person to provide us with the most accurate feedback that they can and then the most accurate sort of information that they can based on their past experience because they're just joining us. And apart from what we can see on the recruitment process, it's very hard to judge the level of skill unless you know that person from quite some time, which is actually something that happens. Sometimes someone worked with that person before and can give us the feedback. But after you do that, the manager, it used to be me, so until... Recently, I had 20, 23 direct reports, and then now <laughs> we should talk about that as well. That is, uh, are you okay? <laughs> and then recently, we added the structure where I had to design managers and leads, and then there have direct reports. So I managed six people now. Right. So because there are four, two design managers, two design leads, the principal designer reports to me. He has no direct reports mm-hmm. principles is an IC role and the UX copywriters to reports to me okay but before it used to be 23 so what we'll do is that we'll then sit down with that person based on the progression check-in and discuss every single point and make observations and usually what happens is and that's something that's funny that happens when and maybe it just happens with us. I'm not sure if it's common, so I don't want to generalize. But juniors tended to score themselves higher. Mm. So they're always exceeding. And seniors tended to be always working towards certain skills in the growth framework, which was quite interesting to notice. So at the beginning, you need to have those conversations and really be specific about, okay, so... Can you do this? For how long have you been doing this? And it was yeah. like, oh, I did on my past project. Okay, for the first time, yes. Okay, so you're not really <laughs> exceeding at this skill, right? So you're admitting you're working towards, you're just, just getting there. And after we do that assessment, we look at the strengths and weaknesses. We do sometimes a strengths map just to see what are your skills that you want to highlight. Sometimes a few of those skills were the reason why we hired uh, a person, a designer. So we want to highlight and, and, and bring that to the forefront, make them, if possible, the best of the world on those specific strengths. Mm. And we also work on a personal development plan. So based on a couple of their weaknesses or weak points, we looked into, okay, so what are your goals then? Mm. And then... We do a list of goals. We turn those goals into habits. Right. And one thing that we do that I think it's really nice is that we have a shared Trello board across the team. Mm. So every individual member of the team can see each other's professional goals mm. and skills and things that they're working towards. And they can comment on each other and say, oh, this is cool. You're working on this. I'm working on this as well. So this is something that I learned recently. And that created, I think, a much better conversation and in collaboration across the team. So I see people sharing learning materials much more or even uh, that's open to our resourcing manager at the organization has access to that. She's great. So she sometimes she comes to design managers or or she used to come to myself and say, so we have an opportunity here that we can put two designers into this project to do UI. I need a design lead to do maybe the UI work on this, but is there someone else that wants to learn or or to upskill in UI? That's a great opportunity to put someone here. 
Or is there someone that wants to upskill in workshop? That is a great opportunity for someone to do this here. Yeah. So because a lot of our work in consultancy is casting, right? Casting of the teams. Yeah. But when those goals and those objectives are transparent across the team, I think it enables us to create opportunities, right? For people yeah. to actually practice and upskill or even get better at, at certain skills and, and capabilities. I absolutely love that. I just think that's such a good kind of extra value to doing this work um, is making it available to everyone. Do you see any fear or like pushback, people not wanting to share something that they're not so good at? So that's optional, right? But I think that comes into the creating a psychological safe space with the team. So another thing that we do as well is that the team comes together on design collabs and critiques every week they have all hands with their managers now every week mm -hmm. and creating those spaces where they can say i have an idea or i don't think this is right or is this something that we can improve on we have the team retros right where we come together and everyone criticize uh, critiques criticize not the right word but critiques <laughs> are yeah. our team culture our practices yeah how we're doing The, the entire team comes together also to think about what is our mission, what are our values, how do we show up to other teams in, inside the organization, how do we show up amongst ourselves, what are our principles and, and, and our desired behaviors. So when that's a shared responsibility, that's not something that I value as the VP or just the design managers want people to achieve, Yeah, I think that becomes much more open and honest. So. Yeah. I haven't seen so far anyone that actually hesitated in terms of, oh, I don't want to put my goal there and, and yeah. because I don't want to be exposed or, or something like that. Actually, the opposite happened. People are quite open and honest about talking about things that they want to upskill because they see that the rest of the team also is trying to upskill in similar things and they yeah. want to help each other, which I think it's quite a good vibe. Yeah, to absolutely. not use the word culture. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose it's about signaling, isn't it? Like the, the, you want the senior people to be doing that very visibly so that then the junior folks or the newer folks on the team maybe feel more comfortable doing it. Do you share your goals with the team? Yeah, so there's one thing that I do is share. I share the objectives of the team. I share my goals. I also did a session with the team where I talked about my past fuck-ups. Uh, And why not? So I try to be very open. And sometimes when I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. When I do, when I do something wrong, and that's something, uh, a couple of small things that people forget about that I think it's, I think Brenda Brown talks a lot about that, for example, and being a vulnerable leader requires a lot of courage, but courage for a lot of people. But I think it's the only way that you can really set the example right so send the right signal when i go to a meeting and i do something and then i see sometimes an intermediate calling me out and saying oh mate those artboards are not named properly yeah. and i go oh, yeah that's true I, i i fuck it up here i'm sorry <laughs> you're completely right instead of being who are you to question my yeah. design skills of years of experience right so and there's a lot of people that get defensive about that but i think when The leads on a team and myself, and even that uh, our CEO is really good about that as well, of just saying, yeah, 
I don't know, or yeah, this is not not right and being open about that and being mm-hmm. open about I'm good at this. I'm not very good at that. Yeah. There's even a thing, uh, 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 exercise that we did a while ago. It's coming back. The exercise is, is coming back. I see a few uh, of, of my leads are starting doing with their own teams is mm-hmm. before engaging to mentoring coaching, I would give people sort of a manual of working with me. So it's like a one pager talking about this is what I'm good at. This is who mm. I am. This is what I fear. Mm. Sometimes I'm a very sort of long-term thinking person. So sometimes when I need to do short-term decisions, it can be very impractical. <laughs> and I needed to call me out on that. Like I chat with my leads and like, if I need to organize my agenda, I need help. Yeah. So if you need to have a meeting with me and I needed that to be structured, I need you to help me <laughs> on yeah. setting up that structure. Because I can go wild on conversations and sometimes that's nice, but some, that's what we need. But sometimes that's not what you're looking for. So I need you to bring Absolutely. a little bit of that structure and I'll jump in straight away. Yeah. Or sometimes when I'm super focused on a timeline, then I will bring the ultra focused Lucas and I'll get straight to the point and I'm not being a jerk. I'm just trying to get to the essence of what we need to do because I have another meeting (laughs) five minutes that I need to get to and I want to know what we're going to decide here so we can keep moving and I can give you what you need and I can get what I, the information that I need as well. So being open about those dynamics and who you are, I think, and where you come from and Mm. what your shortcomings are and, and what your strengths are, I think it's super important. And that's something I did I failed to do in the past. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I think it's super important to do now after you learn. Yeah. It's evolving as a leader. I'm, I find a lot of the same things, the balance between being a little bit more command and control versus being very, um, taking a step back and high autonomy is sometimes hard and being really vulnerable and admitting your fuck ups the worry that that then undermines decisions you do make in the future and the belief that people on the team have in your decision-making ability if you're admitting to mistakes. Like all of that stuff kind of goes around in your head as like this balancing act. Well, that's at least what I've found. And I have a similarly unstructured mind, so I struggle in the same ways that you do with maybe slightly more a short-term structured conversations and getting things done. So yeah, I can very much empathize with that. Yeah, for me, it's like I have uh, on and off mode. So if I'm on a a more uh, philosophical day or a bit more sort of like forward thinking day or activities, it's very hard for me to get back to being super objective and structured. Then I need absolute help. But if I'm on a week that I'm going through boom, 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 and decisions and jumping to products and doing statements of work and stuff. Yeah. Then I go back to my engineering mind. And then if someone wants to do a workshop, or in this case, have a podcast talking about... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm like, oh, I feel my head's so slow. <laughs> yeah, so it's on and off. So what you're saying about that balance, I think it's a, it's a thing that I chat to my team. My team is like, when we do retros and feedback and they're like, I really enjoy having you as a leader or something like that. It sounds weird that I'm paraphrasing a couple of those feedbacks. But like when they say, oh, when they give me a positive feedback, for example, yeah. I always go, 
That's right. But you're lucky because you're getting my fourth iteration when I used to. Yeah. Fourth or fifth iteration when I used to be a startup founder or or a founding team of a startup or the partner of my previous studio. Yeah. Uh, I used to be like this. And one thing that is funny is that I have read all of the material. So that's something that is still is crazy to me that I like to discuss that a lot with my leads is that self-awareness doesn't come from reading books alone. You need to, sometimes you really need to fail. Maybe I learn better by failing and, and learning and, and self-reflecting and trying to improve yeah. the next time. But I remember I received um strong feedback before on my own studio and about leadership and i remember thinking how is that even possible like i probably read all of the management and leadership books available but i'm still making the mistakes yeah why is that not sinking in or yeah. am i not seeing what i should be seeing and that person was brave enough to give me the feedback and heard that feedback and i was like okay so This is really not working. I need to make something to yeah. change. And then next time, then when we start building the team here, it was like, oh, so I know what didn't work. Mm -hmm. So being defensive and trying to be the know-it-all of the team or being able to have that image of, I know where, I'm, where we're going, let's go. And I can guide us through the storm yeah. or I can save us from this mess is something yeah. that doesn't work, that just, just didn't work, doesn't work. I think that... A lot of the things is that the culture of leadership that we get from being an entrepreneur is different from what a more established team needs. Yeah. And there are sometimes when you're leading a company, they need to be more entrepreneur probably than a leader. But there are times, so you, you're going to need to set a vision and be sometimes a little bit stubborn and say, I'm pretty sure this is where we should go. Yeah. And I disagree, but let's commit to this and let's move forward because that's the vision that I had and yeah. I'm willing to bet on this yeah. and try and inspire people to go forward with you. But sometimes as well, you need to open up with a team and say, all right, so I have no idea. So I had this, <laughs> I thought I knew where we were going, but I had no idea and I really need your help and we're here yeah. to work together on this. And I want to give you autonomy to actually help guide your team of this and there are different roles and it's important to know the difference between between them between being an entrepreneur and being a leader and also knowing how to use those mm. those different sort of archetypes especially when you're a business owner in my case i work on the i'm on a leadership team so sometimes i need to do things that are better for the business yeah and sometimes those things are not Well, most times they're aligned with what the team want, yeah. needs, but sometimes they're not aligned with what the team wants. Yeah. So it is important to make a few of those calls, like yeah. when someone is underperforming, for example, yeah. with something everyone talks about, design leadership is great, and then you're going to mentor people, and then it's like, oh, so what do you do when you need to put someone into probation? Yeah. So that's not a fun conversation to have. No. No one wants to be there. That's not inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> That's not inspiring at all. Yeah. That's just bureaucratic. You open a spreadsheet, you're going to list what are the... And sometimes you think, ah, but everyone in the team likes this person. Yeah. And if I let go of this person, maybe it's not going to be good for the team, but you're going to think about, but wait a second, 
what this person's costing me in terms of business and what this person is going to cost me in terms of just team morale yeah. is actually not beneficial for my business. So yeah. I, I, I could replace this person with someone else. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's going to cause a dip maybe in happiness in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to be better for yeah. the company. Yeah. And people are going to be angry at you because everyone liked that person. That person was nice. Yeah. And maybe they were not that good, but they were getting there and stuff. Yeah. But you need to do it. You know, you know they need to do it. Yeah. That's the job. That's the job. Sometimes that's the job. That's the job, yeah. yeah. And that's a lot of discussions that I think they're important to have. And being a leader or being a business owner, sometimes that what we read about the job and what people like to talk about the job is very different than what the job really is on a day-to-day. -day. Yeah. Absolutely. That's definitely true of entrepreneurs. Yeah, definitely. So much less of it is glamorous than what you read about when, you know, I don't know, Bezos and Musk flying, <laughs> flying around the world or flying into space. Yeah. That's the very extreme, but even, you know, it's not all conference talks and all that kind of stuff. So. No, I remember when in all of my startup experience, I remember reading, was it Elon Musk that said that? No, I think it was on a Medium article that I found. I forgot who wrote it. That's called The Psychological Traits of an Entrepreneur. Mm. Something like that. But it was talking about mental health for entrepreneurs and how that's not discussed enough. And there was description there about what it is to be an entrepreneur. And the description was great. There was something like, being an entrepreneur is sitting on top of a lion. Everyone is looking at you and saying, look at that person. That's amazing. Like, so brave. <laughs> He's sitting on top of that lion. And you are looking at the lion <laughs> under you and thinking, how the fuck did I get here? And how... Am I going to get out yeah. without dying? <laughs> that's such a good analogy. It's such a good analogy, right? <laughs> and when I read that, I was like, that's exactly right. I remember I, I chat, have chats with our CEO that's also the co-founder of the business here uh, frequently. And a lot of times he jokes and is like, ah, maybe you're going to be. And he jokes like, ah, you should be CEO next. And I was like, I don't think so. I really like going to sleep without thinking about pay slips. <laughs> And thinking about, ah, oh, the client is delayed. Oh, what do I do? And if that yeah. person cancels, that's like 40% of my revenue. Oh, yeah. You don't need the existential angst. Yes, yeah, so stressful. And then you see a person saying, I'm going to have a second kid. And then you go, yay. And then in the back of your head, you're thinking, oh, fuck. So now I need to give him a raise. Yeah. But also, like, I need that client to pay because now... <laughs> <laughs> that I'm responsible, like you feel sort of responsible for of course, for yeah. the happiness and the family of everyone that works for you because you want everyone to actually live nice and fulfilling lives. And when they buy yeah. a house, it's like, ah, oh, that's cool. It's like I help enable that and in yeah. and, and, and some, some shape or form. And, and you get so worried about it. I remember getting so worried about people uh, like, oh, I got a second kid. I'm like, oh, okay. So, and then you call your client, you go, that's amazing, mate. And I call that client and slate and say, you need to pay me now. Yeah. Because <laughs> now I have an employee that had two mouths to feed yeah. instead of one. Absolutely. So that can get delayed. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I haven't quite got to the two kids thing yet, but um, I just want to end because this has been a, a good rambling chat between two, it sounds like, excellent ramblers but i would love to just end up by just hearing going back to i suppose progression frameworks because you're you're quite 
I would say not necessarily unique for a progression customer, but it's reasonably unique given the stats around how many people even have these progression frameworks in that it's rolled out across the whole organization. I'd love to hear a little bit about that process of getting it just from the design team out to the whole org and the good and the bad. What did you learn? What would you do different next time? That's a good question. So a lot of these initiatives, like people-driven initiatives, we try to pilot them on a design team. I think the design team has a really good culture and, and, and people are mature enough to be having this conversation. I think the design industry is is in a good level of maturity of talking about career and talking about personal development and, and whatnot. So at least my team reads a lot about this. So we pilot the growth framework first on Trello, as I mentioned, and then we move to progression and roll out that with the design team. We're now in the second iteration of that. So we roll out the first rubric. Mm-hmm. There was a copy of the rubric that we had on Trello. So in terms of skills and, and levels. And then uh, recently when we restructure a little bit of the team to add the leads and managers in the principal role, we did a little bit of fine tuning on the level of skills required for each role and the descriptions. But what was nice is that one thing that, for example, uh, that's fun. So. We roll out, we had that uh, growth framework with the design team, I think a year before the organization, the rest of the, the organization, it's 150 people organization. And mm. and then we roll out progression with the design team. And it, it really had a chat with my CEO and at the time, the VP of operations, uh, people in operations. And they were like, you're going to need to slow down. You either slow down the thing, the nice things they're doing with the team or you help us roll this out with the rest of the organization, right? Because they will start having conversations across from... Everyone's jealous. Yeah, from 10 team <laughs> or mobile teams, right? Or, or the engineering teams or other teams are like, the designers are spoiled. Like, like uh, the designers have all of those progression things and they're like being able to... Like, I'm going to have nothing. And then we sat down with the other VPs and with the team, and then we ended up rolling out that across the entire organization now. So we have mm-hmm. currently 150 people, I think, and I mentioned that before. I was just looking at progression right now. And we have the delivery teams all here, design team, product team. All of the supporting roles are here. So management, like GMs, operations, finance, I didn't know finance was here. That's hilarious. Uh, that's awesome. People and culture, partnerships, uh, like the BizDev team is here. Technology team, iOS, Android, management, mobile management teams, front-end, back-end, quality assurance, QA, cloud services, architecture. <laughs> like everyone is here, right, across the organization. It's really nice to see not only feedback from the design teams are a little bit more used to this, but it's really nice mm. to hear from, I love when I hear from other teams because mm. it's something that uh, rolling out progression and growth frameworks, uh, the growth frameworks across our organization was sort of like my baby project. And I really want that to be done really nice because I know how important it is for people, but I thought it was important as well to have that really well rolled out because that can easily backfire. I think if you have a, very bad growth framework i think that that that's not going to allow for really good conversations yeah and now i think the technology team has done their second six monthly review and coaching sessions with progression and i love when i receive feedback from 
I don't know, a random backend developer on the company, like any backend developer, and go, oh, so you're the person that, that like the progression started with the design team, right? It was like, yep, yeah. it was like it was really great. I had a great discussion with the engineering manager today. And I think that's really cool. I wish my older company had that before. This is just awesome to hear that you're actually enabling. Um, it, it sort of became an advantage of like even an employee branding, mm -hmm. like when we're hiring people to join the organization and we show our progression sort of setup here, our progression rig, all the setup and stuff. <laughs> like we flex that on people that are joining, they go, oh, this is great. Let, yeah, we want to do that. Like this is this is amazing. Even when we chat with other uh, consultancies, leaders from other consultants, for example, and they go, ah, what do you do for juniors? Sometimes they spend a lot of time being juniors. Like that doesn't happen really here because we're super clear on yeah, and then we do this and show progression. They go, "What? <laughs> this is amazing." There was something that I start doing was there was a person that left the team recently, not recently, the end of last year, and went to work for a bank. And I remember that I called the manager and I said, "Are you okay if I do a handoff of the person with you? Because I really don't want that progression of that person to stop." Mm. It had a really good sort of uh, coaching and mentoring relationship. Yeah, that person just didn't want to go to an in-house environment. Was not super settling on the consultancy environment, but the relationship was too nice. And it was like, and the person was like, the manager was like, the new manager was like, yeah, of course. And then we sat down for a coffee, and then I opened up that person's. Uh, I spoke with the team member first, and he was super okay with it. And then. We sat up on a coffee and was like, cool, so here are his strengths and weaknesses. Here are all of his skills. He wants to develop this. This is his goal. I really think you should keep pursuing this. And I really think that this is the way to guide conversations with this person. Like the one-on-ones, likes a little bit more unstructured one-on-ones. is better with just having more relationship-based conversations and understanding a little bit more his behavior because he's a little introvert. It would take a little bit of time for him to open up. But if you look at this, it's really interesting on leadership and workshopping side and the collaboration and skill here and progression and stuff. And here's how we progressed over the past like two years. And the person was like, this is my, we should do this. <laughs> like it was like, the manager was like, oh, shouldn't we do this? Like on on an industry level, like imagine how, and then we pick that conversation up, but imagine if we have some sort of a, like a, they don't need to be standard, but an equivalent, right? So the equivalent yeah. framework there yeah. on this organization and it can go, okay, so now I can export this person and it can add that person there and you have sort of the equivalent and a person can keep growing because that's not, it doesn't need to, to start from scratch. You can keep with yeah. the, similar goals and strengths and, and having all of that progression because for the person it's a lifelong journey, right? So the person's professional career progression doesn't stop when they leave Rome. You keep going and it's nice for the person to have that as a next chapter, but that continues and not that needs to start again from scratch unless the person really wants that. I think that's a great and maybe counterintuitive trait in a leader is to like celebrate someone leaving and help them be good in the next place i mean as a human you like to think that you would always do that but sometimes when someone's leaving it can maybe feel like 
maybe not ill will, but just frustration that they're going and, yeah. um, to put proactively put in the time to make their next role great. However you're doing it, whether it's through progression or some other means is, is awesome. And uh, more leaders should do it, right? Yeah, I think it's important. I think that a lot of the people that leave my team, we still have some sort of mentorship calls every month. And mm. for me, it's just that when a person joins your company and you hire them and you build their relationship, I think if you really care about that person's, the development of that person and you care about that human being, it's yeah. not, it doesn't stop when they leave your company, right? You still care yeah. about that human being and seeing that person grow and, and, and whatnot. So yeah. I think that's important. Even sometimes, like I had a person on my team recently, he joined straight out of a boot camp, yeah. junior designer, spent three years with us. And he called me, joining the call, and it was like, oh man, so I received this job offer from, in this case, with Canva in Sydney. Mm. It's like the uh, offer is really good. So they're really, they're re- I didn't want the job. So I was not looking for the job that came after me. And I was like, oh, why not? They're Canva, they're building their company. And they were super impressed. I talked about the growth framework and I talked about that, like did showcase of the skills and talked about the projects and they're super impressed. And this is what they offer me. Do you think I should go? And it's a lot of money, but I still want to keep growing on the team and stuff. So I'm not yeah. sure if I should go. What do you reckon? I was like, I think you should hang up and call them right now. <laughs> Yeah. Before they realize what they're doing. Join the unicorn. Before they realize what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before they change their minds. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, mate, you know, I, I love you, man. You're a great person. I really like having you on the team. Of course, I'm going to miss you. We're all going to miss you here. But I think this is a great opportunity. You should go 100%. Even if that place sucks, which I don't believe it does. You spend there two years. It's going to look really good on your LinkedIn. Yeah. And after that, you do whatever you want. Absolutely. And it makes me proud to know that you joined knowing nothing. And then after three years, you're actually being hired with this salary range and being put in a really good position on our company. So, yeah. So I think it's important to also look at who is leaving your, when people leave your organization, are they leaving better than when they arrived? I think that's a good metric um, I feel for. Absolutely. And kudos to you for creating an environment where someone can feel able to talk about their new job yeah, <laughs> or their new job offer. Uh, Lucas, I'm going to let you go. It's late for you over there in, in New Zealand. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. And um, yeah, see you around. Yeah. All right. Is there anywhere we can find you online that people can... I'm usually observing people on Twitter. And that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> observing. Yeah, I'm just observing. You're lurking. Yeah, and I, I retweet a couple of things. I try to write, but I, I found writing very time consuming for me, so I don't write that much. I actually should go back and write on my substack substack or, or something like that, but it's pretty much just on Twitter. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely put in the link to the config talk in the show notes so people can follow up with more of your thoughts on juniors and quality there which is a great talk yeah awesome thanks for the chat man wicked all right have a good day